0: Good, now right? I sound like a politician, like a platform for why
1: inclusivity. You could run for governor in California. Welcome to the Exponential Groups Podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode seven. My guest today is Carolyn Takeda. Carolyn is the small groups pastor and a member of the executive team at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Her responsibilities include leadership development, vision, strategies, and curriculum. She's a former attorney with a JD from the UC Berkeley Law School who's been leading small groups for over 30 years. She's a contributing author for Disciples Path from Lifeway Christian Resources, part of the editorial advisory team at Christianity Today, smallgroups.com, and host of Group Talk, a monthly podcast for the Global Small Group Network. You will find the show notes for this episode at alanwhite.org forward slash episode seven. And now, my interview. With Carolyn Takeda. All right, Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm liking this because I've been on your podcast now (laughs) three times, and this time I get to ask the questions. I know. I
0: feel like I've given up control. I'm feeling a little nervous
1: here. (laughs) You're completely out of control. So um, anyway, um, I think we'll do okay. But anyway, I appreciate all the times that you've had me on your podcast, and thank you for agreeing to... um, be on mine now you've been at small group ministry um for a while in the same church right yes Yeah, Yeah. so
0: I've been at Calvary Community Church um, for almost 16 years now, but I've actually been in small groups ministry since I was in high school. My parents planted a church in our living room, and I was responsible for um, all the kids. I'd like to think that was my small group, Um, and then in college, through university, through a lot of different small groups, um, so I've been leading it, but not vocationally until about um, 15, 16 years ago.
1: Yeah. Now, there is something about having that longevity at the same church. Um, because yeah. it's not like you go in for two years, you make a big splash, you get a bunch of people into groups, and then you go out to the next church to do the same thing. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're in it for the long haul. And so yes. um, I think one of the things we gonna talk about today is um, how do you keep the value of small groups in, in front of people? Um, it's not just a, a, you know, a flash in the pan. How do you keep it going from month to month and year to year?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like a long-term marriage, right? It's, it's richer and deeper, but you also take each other for granted. So it's a little bit that way. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not flashy or shiny. It was in the beginning when it was newer. Um, but I think there's something so sweet and good about consistency. I'm a big fan of stable, stable um, ministry and sustainability. So anything we build at our church, in terms of ministry, um, we want to make sure it can sustain over the long term. So, small groups is a great example of that. When we started out, we had uh, we d- had a big flash in the pan. We had a whole purpose driven campaign before I I came on staff, and we started like a ton of groups, of course. And then, and I was a congregant at the time. My husband and I were in a purpose driven group, and then after it ended, pretty much all most of the groups went away. And then two years later, I was talking to somebody about why don't you know why don't we have small groups? Our church is too big, and people really community. And I just have a passion for community and belonging since I was young. And she's like, why don't you come help with this? And then I did a, my first task was to figure out what groups do we have? And we had like, you know, 150 plus a couple of years ago. And then I started literally calling every group leader on the list and I came down to about 12. So there was no sustainability. Wow. So we started out about 15 years ago with 12 in a church that was about 2000 or so. And then we built from there. And what was great was uh, my leadership team wasn't in any hurry. We had a number of other th- critical issues that was um, driving the church at the time. And so I had a few years to just kind of experiment and then build slow and by nature, I'm not really a shiny flashy sort of person. I like like order. I like predictability. And so I think the beauty of being in one place for a long time is the congregation knows me. They know um, what I stand for. My message about community has not changed. I I still say the exact same thing um, about it. We've had different, we've had the same senior pastor now for about 12 years or so. Um, But as things have changed on and off um, with the tides, basically the small group piece has only grown consistently over time. And the idea, the big change has been how do we move it from a program um, and something we do, you know, once in a while to something that's really in the DNA of our church. And that's really been my goal from the beginning is how do we create it like the Acts church where it's just part of life.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And I want to see and build into that vision and you really need the whole Whole church and you need a whole leadership buy-in for that. Um, but we weren't gonna get that for a long time. And we still don't have that in, in some places. And so it's kind of how do we work within the system to just take a little more, a little more, get more staff buy-in. So I'm kind of very much an incremental sustainability approach person.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great. And, and you're consistent, people know that you're there. Yes. They know when you talk about groups that you mean it because you've been talking about it for yes. 15, 16 years. <laughs> And it's not a matter of, oh, let's do this new exciting thing. And people are like, oh, boy.
0: Right, but to keep it fresh to your point, though, like, you know, like date night. You need something in your marriage, right? You need a vacation once in a while. You need something. So every year I try to do something that's a little different um, that kind of, you know, takes us uh, just a slightly different route. So people kind of... we again, new people joining in for the new thing. And then we get existing people excited um, about trying something else. And so I think trying to keep it fresh while still maintaining the consistency on the value side is really um, important. And some of that is just, this is why I do the podcast. Actually, here's the big secret for group talk. I started the podcast uh, when Steve Glayton asked me from the small group network, because I wanted to keep learning. I'm kind of a, a nerd and a geek at heart. And so I thought, what's the best way to keep learning? Oh, I have an excuse to talk to experts like Alan and then pick their brains um, while I get to have them on the podcast. So I've actually learned a lot through this process. And I think, Alan, I think I told you you should have a podcast because I've I've interviewed you three times and you're one of the most popular guests we have. And we always have a fantastic time together. And I said, you should do this. And now look, you are.
1: (laughs) There you go. You're so kind. So thank you. So you talked about doing things every year to keep it new and fresh. So- let's get practical. What, what are some of those, what does that look like? What are those things that you're doing? Um, Even what, what are you planning for this year? If it's keeping it new and fresh.
0: Okay. So it, we're in July. So we're just in the dreaming stage. So I, I'm not sure. We're, we're in California, which means um, as of today, some of our restrictions have been lifted in June, when we're taping this in June. So we're still trying to see what the landscape looks like for us. Yeah. So I'll, I can't answer the this year question in part because um, we don't have this, our fall um, teaching calendar um, ready yet. And I so, gotcha. here's, which leads to my point, probably the most Um, instrumental thing we've done to kind of help small groups become more part of our DNA is to do a church alignment series, which is a little bit like the campaign that you write write, um, so much about on your blog and stuff, and you give so much practical handle, so no need to go over all of that, but we've never done a a pure campaign of sorts, but what we did do was um, once a year, and we've been doing this now, I want to say for about eight years. Um, or so. And so basically once a year in the fall, we'll take um, the sermon teaching series and I'll work in advance to produce a video curriculum. So none of that's new. We've all been doing stuff like that. But about seven years, seven, eight years ago, we invited um, the kids to join us. Mm -hmm. And initially some of the um, ministries didn't quite want to. So I started out with high school thinking they're the closest thing to adults. Um, And I thought, okay, maybe we can modify it for them. So we modified the material for them. And then the following year, um, and it worked well. Then the following year, we invited middle school. What would it look like for middle school? Um, then we invited elementary, then uh, preschool. So about, for about five years now, we've now had the whole church during the whole two months. And it's been fantastic because I'll then, uh, once we know what the fall uh, teaching series looks like, we'll adapt it. And I'll meet with um, the pastors and all those ministries um, from literally birth to young adults and we'll have brainstorming planning. And then we give them a lot of freedom to create. And now they know this comes every fall. So they are already thinking. So one year it was so cool, elementary um, director, um, he's so creative. So he made a comic book for the K-2 to second grade. And then made another one for third, fifth. And then our middle school um, people, they wrote their own questions and did some other fun stuff with it. So over each year, like they keep building on it. The adult stuff stays fairly consistent because that's just me and creativity is a little harder for me. But the younger ages have been amazing what they've done. Um, and so they take whatever verses we do and they just really drill it down a very very basic level for like our um two-year-olds you know they'll take us we did some on the mount and I was like, Ooh, how are going to, how are they going to manage that? And it was really simple, you know, love. And then they make crafts out of it. So then they've just kind of expanded more and more. So uh, the reason I mentioned is the alignment piece of things made it really easy for the senior pastor who you and I both talked about being a pivotal hoarder for DNA on uh, group life was able to say, Hey, talk to your kids about what they learned this um, today. Cause you're learning the same thing. And so families were reporting that they loved having that conversation after church with their kids or after watching, um, and so we've built in questions into there. Sometimes we added in for the different ages into our book that we would give all the adults so they would know what the kids were saying. They just, so the family, it really strengthened the whole family piece and helped um, a secondary goal of parents discipling their children and just mm-hmm. equipping them to do that. We've done uh, a Spotify playlist with it to say, so here are the songs we'll be singing or some new ones that we're introducing. We've had our, our creative uh, worship arts people write songs for it. So like pretty much I've let loose people on staff. Any idea? you guys it comes through um, and then we kind of coordinate together so that all of it looks branded the same so everyone understands this is a series this stands alone so there's some things there's some guardrails around it but our senior leadership loves it and it's just paid really dividends so every year we've done it tweaking a little bit sometimes we have it in a box sometimes we you know launch it a different way but it's more like form that cha- um, changes the function never changes the function is always um how do we get people To understand the value of community, how do we get to actually live that out in our, you know, in their little areas? Um, The other thing we did earlier on, and then it's grown over time and now it's become the norm, is I uh, I looked around at what other ministries were happening. So we have, you know, some classes, we have kind of the whole, you know, buffet of random ministry offerings I think a lot of people have. So marriage ministry, we have men's, women's, all of that. So I went around and visited the leaders and looked at what they were doing. And then I asked if they could tweak it. Um, to build in communities. So in our men's uh, ministry, they were doing these classes and they were like 20, 30 um, at a time, sometimes 50, and they weren't leveraging the time they could have to talk to one another. So we, so we recommend they all become, uh, have the small group mid-size Kind of concept that's been really popular for us and helpful and then i said you know what if you put the same leader in each table make them sit in the same place I'm like no people like to say what they want to sit i'm like no i think they're going to value the community once they do it so then we started doing that and then those groups then started lingering afterwards um, and going to lunch so it's just kind of like organically engineering for it so i went to different environments uh marriage retreat i was like okay how can we engineer this so that we'll get married groups out of there so it's kind of looking at what you're already doing and then coming alongside it, pretty much seeing your, your role as a small group pastor or director as a, not so much about groups, but more as a champion for community and for belong, belonging and the value of how people can transform one another through relationships. And so if you put that lens on, you're less attached to the idea of how many small groups per se, the classic ones you have, but you're more attached to the idea of our people experiencing Jesus with one another.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I so the two things I I'm, I'm hearing that are really strong one is that you have your staff United on this initiative together, from the the worship area to the children's ministry, the teens, and and so you're you're all united in what you're presenting. So I think that makes it certainly stronger that this is a big deal to the church. I think the other thing too is finding places where people are already experiencing yes. community in yes. the church, and then you know if they're lacking. Now I don't know why they would complain about they don't want to sit at the same table because we're such creatures of habit. <laughs> We, you know, when we go to church, we kind of park more it's or less true. in the same space. We go into a room. We sit at the same table. But um, Alan,
0: no, one wants we don't have be to rethink stuck.
1: all of that. You know, <laughs> what's People that? not want
0: to have options. They don't want to be stuck. Yeah. Well, case, we could you just. Know, there's a better uh, table somewhere. If you
1: if you didn't say it, you could have accomplished exactly the same thing.
0: Yes, but we wanted the intentionality and then we wanted to raise up leaders. And so then we were like, you know, can you just facilitate? So it was just a way to sneak in. You're already doing the work of facilitating because there's always a glue person around mm-hmm. the table. Mm-hmm. And now we're gonna just ask you to step into that because we see that this is one of your gifting anyway. So it's more, it was just the way to do it. And then it's kind of taken off. So now it's the norm. Um, All of our, all of them kind of function, even our outreach, our homeless um, feeding, our anything we do in our outreach ministry, um, they meet in small groups beforehand to pray and they see each other afterwards and they check in with each other. Our choir does that like. It's that's the DNA piece. And we, we were not anywhere near there. It, it just was they were all siloed and separate. And depending on the leader, they would think about relationships or not based on the leader's own value of it or their own comfort level and personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this way, we kind of made it, and by it made it more even. And by providing resources, and even f- initially, the resistance for our students and our young, um, our kids ministry was that they wanted the freedom to create their own material. But then now they really like the fact that here's here's the passages you'll be focusing on this year. You can shape it around that. So you give them the parameters, and they get like all this freedom to play within it. And it all comes out of a different budget, which is also very nice. <laughs> Pay yeah, for Yeah,
1: there you go. Um,
0: and so there's there's ways to to get around it. So it's kind of a a cool thing. And they're usually the ones like in April going, okay, what are we doing? Because we want to plan. I'm like, oh, I'm still waiting. As soon as I know, you'll know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. And that's kind of like a conversation I had. I'm serving as the the life group director for a church in Michigan. I I have the job. So I'm the one placing (laughs) them in the groups and the whole bit, if I have to do that, which is not very many, fortunately. But uh, I had a conversation with the missions pastor because he'd already arranged kind of groups of serving teams. Mm-hmm. And so we had this conversation over, well, how groupish are these groups? Yes. And if you'll agree to have a component of growth in what you're doing, then I'm good and we'll draw a line and we'll count them as life groups. Otherwise, you know, I would have to go in and, and poach everybody out of his ministry and recruit <laughs> them into life groups. That so won't obviously, make you popular. <laughs> that's not going to be very popular. But the other side of it is, I don't care. So- um, <laughs> I just want to win. Uh, But anyway, but no, it was very, it was very amenable. But then, you know, the other side of it is with life groups, you know, going back to the serving area of the church saying that when they take a break for the summer, this church already has some regular events they call bless Mm -hmm. the city. Well, how can we get life groups who are taking a break involved in those bless the city events? and, you know, coordinated, but, you know, I mean, as a whole, and you and I are both small groups on the brain, but, you know, we know (laughs) from the research that people in groups, they attend more, they give more, they serve more, they invite more, they share their faith more. So the more people are in groups, the better off the the church is going to be, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: So uh, we weren't going to disagree on that. I knew that.
0: Right? <laughs> we weren't going to know. I'm waiting to disagree with you on something, Alan. I, so, I don't think we have many places. So when you think
1: about your people that are, you've got a lot of people in groups, you've got a lot of people that are in other ministries doing yes. groupish sorts of things, but then there are people that attend on the weekend, they attend online, mm-hmm. they're not connected into a group. Why would they want to be in a group? We know why they should be in a group, right? but what, what are they thinking? What's going on there?
0: Yeah, that's such a great distinction. Okay, we so we know why they should be in the group. And I think we make the mistake we as small group point leaders where we think the reason why we, they should be in a group, the biblical reason is what they'll get them there. And a lot of times we pitch our promos and things along that, those lines. Mm-hmm. I think uh, maybe it's also because I'm in California, you know, we're a little less, we have so many other things they could be doing, oh, you yeah. know, than, than spending time with um, God and God's people. So here's Here's kind of what I've been thinking lately, since especially since the pandemic, is before we used to always say there's this axiom, right? In group world, that people come for content and they stay for um the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. That hasn't been true for our context mm-hmm. um, where we are for the last probably few years. I think that might have been true maybe in the Bible Belt, might have been true 10 years ago. Um, and maybe when there was novelty, you know, first time you do a campaign, it's novel. So people may mm-hmm. do it for that. I think it's now, especially since what we've been through as a whole country in the world with the pandemic, it's all about the relationships. I think people come for connection um, and they don't really care about the content. This the isolation that's been so um, deepened and made so obvious in the past year has made people realize that they don't have a whole lot of people in their life. You know, we used to talk about the 911, you know, call who would you call in the middle of the night kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to scare people into groups and say, if you have no 911 people, then you need, you need someone. But the reality is we're also a really hyper individualistic, independent culture. So um, you just don't want to ever infringe on people. So you, you just feel like we can just do it ourselves. We do everything else ourselves we outsource what we can do, especially if in areas more affluent like ours. So you feel like you don't need that. But I think what people have really realized is they they're lonely. Um, mm-hmm. I think people need we see this, especially in our young adult population, which the statistics for loneliness, depression, anxiety is sky high now. Um, and continues to get worse. And then we also see it now in our elder a more uh, retirement post retirement population, especially since COVID. So we've been just actually observing the past year. Wow, the two loneliest groups and then all the people in between. So I think the number one obvious reason for why people don't join a group is the one, you know, we always blame busyness right but that only c- accounts for a certain amount and there's legit busyness you know with um especially with young children and and the running around and all the activities and whatnot but what we do have seen is that people make time for what they want mm-hmm. to do uh, we make time to go out to eat even if we have to be masked and stuff <laughs> and all of the, all the, the nuttiness so i think i think people need to understand um, and need to feel like groups is a place or we, when we advertise it or talk about it, we need to just talk about it as um, really as friendship. I don't even use relationships as much anymore. I just say friendship. It's more about having a spiritual friend. I've been using that terminology a little bit more because the idea is mm-hmm. that you have friends, right? You have neighbors, you have friends, but do you have a spiritual friend? And we don't need a lot. I think groups are gonna get really small. My prediction in the future is groups are going to be smaller, It's especially here, like in California, where we're still restricted. So you're going to, going out, you're not going to want strangers in your home. People aren't going to want to go into a strange home. So my prediction is that, and we'll probably align towards this model. We're going to have both online and hybrid. We're going to have to keep both of them going strong. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to become really small, which isn't always a bad thing. I think two or three are gathered, right, Alan? So you really only need two to three. (laughs) The people that know you deeply, I'd much rather have two people who know me deeply Um, and love me deeply and call me to the life that Jesus has for me than to know, you know, 20 that know me superficially that I have to keep a mask on for. And that's just exhausting. And we don't have energy for that anymore. (laughs) That's what we've learned this year. We have no energy for
1: that. Well, and that's the thing too, is in the last 16 months, we've seen people divest themselves of everything, every obligation, every commitment in the church, outside of the church, Yes. And I mean, so they're working from home and they've got kids doing school from home and that kind of focus. And so there's kind of this thing of now that I've had a chance to sit back and re- reevaluate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what do I want to bring back exactly. into my life? What's meaningful to me? What's significant right. to me? And not just what, but who.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I think it, I think you're, you're spot on. And I, I've been doing that even personally myself, but like, I think people have divesting is an excellent word. I haven't heard anyone else use that. But that's a great word um, because it is. And now I think people are putting stuff back on their plate to see what do I want. And now it's much more, I think, about belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, Our serving, some of our serving groups have um, done even better coming out of COVID because there's just a, a level of compassion and need that's been greater. I think people are gonna find different places to serve mm-hmm. maybe. And what's interesting, I just had a leadership gathering just to um, thank our small group leaders for what they've been through. We, it was the first time we could meet in person. So it was kind of a fun thing. We gave them little coolers and picnic blankets for the, to enjoy our summer now that we could do that. Um, but just really thank them. And I was really honest with them. And I said, you know, uh, we've lost a lot of leaders. During the last eighteen months, and or sixteen months, guy feels like forever. And some of them didn't make it um, because you know during the transition, they, some fell off the grid, some went to other churches, and they didn't agree with how we were, um, you know, following guidelines. Some um, just weren't that strong to begin with, and they when there was disagreement between, goodness gracious, between the politics, the. Um, racial uh, unrest the financial disparities the all everything and all the illnesses fear all of that stuff like groups really got tested and Mm -hmm. leaders really got tested and I just feel like the ones that thrived and we did have ones that thrived that had incredibly like the best year ever (laughs) Um, and then a lot of them though uh, didn't thrive and they realized they they um, they were more superficial than they thought they were. There was definitely some, some grieving and um, kind of some hard conversations about do we not develop into our spiritual depth the way we thought we were developing? It mm-hmm. kind of took the gloss off of it. And the groups that thrive just like they really got to experience Jesus together. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And, but now we have almost set to start over with, you know, a whole new host of groups and leaders, because I think, um, and in talking to small group network people around the country, this seems to be the norm. So Mm -hmm. I I just want to encourage your listeners that if you guys taking a big blow, uh, me too. And it's, I think it's true for most of our ministries, for the most part, they have, um, it's it's going to be a rebuilding year and not just 2021, it's 2022 for sure. I think we'll be rebuilding because we're going to be reinvesting in what matters and what people need. And we do know that people need a
1: friend. Absolutely, they they need a friend. They need to know that, you know, God God will use them as they make themselves available. They need, you know, it's not just a matter of oh, let's bring back all of the activities that they did before. I I think please no,
0: please no. It's time to say goodbye
1: to a lot of that stuff, you know. And it's just like you know, why were we doing it out of habit? You know, it's like that's that's not a good reason. And so I think, you know, I think the word I blogged on it last week is the, the word for the year for groups is flexibility. For sure. Um, in terms of, I mean, even getting into the spring and, and, you know, working with the church in Michigan, you know, we had people that were only comfortable meeting online. They were not ready to meet in person. People that no. they wanted their groups to wear masks, people that wanted to make sure everybody was vaccinated, people that only wanted to meet outdoors, people oh, that, <laughs> that believe the whole thing was made up, um, you know, all yep. of those camps. So yep. how did they help them find their people? Well, they go and inv- invite their people. I'm not going to make those categories on the church yes. website and then try to connect them up because they they could already go find those folks and be connected. And as you were saying before about groups being smaller, the groups we started this spring are um, averages 3 and 4 people.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's good to know cuz I, I I'm totally predicting that that's what we're going to get going forward. Yeah. And that's okay. And in some ways, it's kind of exciting, Alan, because then it's going to be more organic. We do. We already know from research that um, f- uh, people who already know each other that are in group together are more likely to stick and mm-hmm. likely to go deeper. And so, which is also a function of time together. Um, and during this past the COVID period, um, the groups that did do well are the ones that really uh, were already friends to begin with. Um, and even the ones that added new people, they quickly just welcomed and made, sh- made that stickiness, whether it was the texting, whether it was the email, they were more consistent, even with the Zoom fatigue, like it's the time really, there's no substitute for time. And so I think three or four is much easier to try to do some version of, mm-hmm. you know, COVID safety going forward um, than, than trying to manage that for 12 people.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, and again it's it's a little more flexible in a lot of ways and so I now you have done your monthly podcast, you know, for o- over 5 years, so all yes. the way through the pandemic and all the way into this yes. year. What else are you spotting as far as the way things are are trending, not in a faddish way, but what, what are some things that you're hearing that might be helpful for people as they're going forward?
0: Yeah. So I think the number one thing is the one we just uh, talked about. I think they're going to go small and be more organic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then of course we've all been saying it, um, online is here to stay. So your online better be robust. Um, mm-hmm. I resisted online for so long cause I really like embodied community. <laughs> I'm so old school. Um, but the pandemic forced me and now we won't go back. And so we do have all of our connection process online. So I think it's going to be a both and. Um, So along with flexibility, adaptability um, and asking lots of questions. So Mm -hmm. what um, I've noticed trend wise in the last, you know, I've been part of the small group network for 12 years since its inception, right? So what have we seen over those years? And then the last five interviewing people, I think small groups has become um, a much bigger umbrella broader umbrella, and certainly internationally, for sure. They're just like where we were about, uh, in some parts, Asia was way ahead of us anyway, you know, the movement came from Korea. So Mm -hmm. uh, the cell church movement has been around since, you know, forever. Um, So it came early, but I think in Latin America and parts of Africa and Europe, like they're rediscovering that um, communal space. So, And then I think the whole um, multi-site, huge church thing, the church planting, micro church movement, I'm hoping to get a micro church guide. It's a whole other thing. I'm so curious, What? how is micro church different than church planting? But that's apparently a thing. House church, again, I think going small, literally for small groups <laughs> almost makes sense. But what I have seen, that's super encouraging because there's actually more books now and studies, even studies done on small groups that have highlighted how it really feeds the health of the church. Mm -hmm. So So it moves us away from the consumeristic programmatic side of that, here's one thing that we have, small groups used to be an assimilation tool Yes. Um, and that wasn't a bad thing. It was necessary. But it was how it was viewed, I think. And over the past five, six years, it's become a core value in the church. And I don't mean, Alan, like, it's just on a vision wall somewhere. And you say, you know, Acts right. <laughs> 2. Uh, not that, but like where it actually is permeating body mm-hmm. life. And I think it is because a lot of our practitioners and your listeners are seeing themselves beyond a program director or program mm-hmm. pastor, really seeing themselves as ministering to the whole congregation. And that's where trust and credibility and longevity and ministry and all those things factor in. And, you know, you get to leverage some of your influence in some of those other areas. The other piece I've noticed too, especially in younger, I did recently do a podcast with our high school director and our middle school director that oversee small groups. And they were talking about how it's for those ages and teenagers and young adults as well, it's all about is this a safe place to ask questions can I be myself here um, I'm an LGBTQ person can am I going to be accepted here I'm a whatever you know a person of color I'm a minor, whatever it is can I, is this a place that is safe and then I think to have people that age those ages the next generation and I have two college daughters um, next gen is really looking for belonging Mm -hmm. Um, and they're looking for it in a very honest, authentic way. And so the whole punch and cookies and put our um, shiny, happy Christian faces on, that is not going to cut it for this generation. Not that it ever (laughs) cut it, really, but I feel like that we were willing to settle for that maybe in the 80s and 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly the churches I grew up in, that was with small groups for the most part, were but now I am so encouraged when I hear about what ha- what's happening in you know our um, small groups especially of younger generation it is so real mm-hmm. there's stuff that that God is doing in, in young people's lives and and I just I want more of that in our adult groups I mean you're never too old to grow I'm encouraged even by we have one group that has been together for gosh I want to say 20 plus years. Um, and they have stories um, of God's faithfulness in their life. And then they have stories from like 20 years ago, but they also have stories like last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just uh, met a guy there that was just joined them and someone had invited them and he's in his probably 80s. And he was just, he had a place to go. He had a place to belong. And they sing hymns. I mean, that was the only small group that sings hymns.
1: Wow. But
0: like there's things to create a place for, for people to belong, whoever they are, whatever age they are, whatever their background is, that is, is going to be universal. Cause that's who, that's the people that God calls. And so I think to have those things and then uh, more attention, I think on mental health and support and recovery mm-hmm. as well, mental health and, and a lot of part of mental health is creating spaces. So maybe some of those are support groups. So I talked with our care ministry department and they on, you know, they've been inundated with. Um, mental health issues during the past 16 months. And, you know, how can we come alongside not to be therapy groups, not to be support groups, but to mm-hmm. be friends that can pray together, that can sit and listen. We can do that for people and, and we can equip our leaders to do that for one another. So I think just kind of all of the, the personal issues, I think are, are much more on the surface Mm-hmm. And the groups that, and churches that embrace those differences and the diversity and aren't threatened by it and aren't trying to pretzel pe- people into their church mold, but instead are, are going to you know, blast those molds out in order mm-hmm. to make space for um, people to belong, that I think those groups and those ministries are going to thrive.
1: That's good. That's very good. Now and I sound I,
0: like a politician, like a platform for why <laughs> well, why you know, keep, you, for inclusivity. You could,
1: run, you could run for governor in California. Um. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I can join uh, several other interesting <laughs> things. I, I just become so much. I've always been passionate about diversity. But I think, it, but more, I think I work in a church that's that's um, ninety plus percent white and mm-hmm. um, socioeconomically not super diverse. And so I think the past year we've really tried to. To look at what does it look like for the margins and whether that's because of color or race or gender or whatever it may be, we're trying to figure out how do we create safe places for belonging so that they get to yeah. see Jesus.
1: Well, I think that it's you have to do the hard work of examining and learning and having conversations with people because the easy thing is to be an autopilot and just continue the way that you have. Occasionally we have to ask ourselves, what what if we're wrong? Yes. What if we're wrong? What are we what are we missing? And yes. you know, begin begin to think of things in terms of that because you know Jesus died for everybody. So Yeah, and that, um, that
0: whole concept, I love that. It takes so much humility to say, what if we're wrong? And you're right, it's easy to run a program that I know works. It mm-hmm. works every year. We add another, you know, 20, 30 groups, and we just keep going. But I just feel like life is short. <laughs> and people need Jesus. And I think there's a lot of churches that um, can provide. know a certain amount of community i I, i'm really after the one i i think we want to be a church and calvary's very much been this um we want to be a church that actually embraces the marginalized that's partly why our probably our our most kind of visible ministry that we pour tons of resource into is our special abilities ministry Mm because we realize that when someone has a child um with a special ability special needs that it's such an equalizer and for mm-hmm. our community, it has been a huge beacon of hope. And so it, we don't—it's—it's numbers-wise, it's so small, right, compared to you know five thousand, six thousand people congregation. But man, it, it infiltrated the heart of our congregation. And so mm-hmm. we're such a much more of a compassionate church as a result. So we're trying to figure out how do we do parent groups, how do we do um, caregiver groups. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. And I think you said flexibility. I would say adaptability. And I would mm-hmm. also really encourage us to be a student, even if you been in your ministry a long time like I have still ask questions and be a student and it could I could be wrong Um, and then go what what do you need from a group so the Mm -hmm. online thing you know the blessing of COVID was uh, we found that the online thing really works for some people yeah Um, and they're they're planning to stay online and um, they have you know they have medical issues they have traffic issues when that's a big issue so cal mm-hmm. they have lots they have ch- young child care issues so yes. now they're doing you know we'll do three on zoom and one on not so just giving our leaders flexibility and saying pick from this menu whatever mm-hmm. works best for you um, and pray through those and just find the most inclusive option
1: yeah oh, i love that i love it carolyn thank you very much <laughs> you're so welcome <laughs> Thank you for listening today. For more information about Carolyn Takeda's Group Talk podcast and the Small Group Network, please go to smallgroupnetwork.com. Also, please like and rate this podcast wherever you access your podcasts. God bless you. We'll see you next month.